It was so good being back there and just listening to you pray together. Um, I'm going to ask how, you know, the Lord convicted me of something years ago. And he just showed me that I don't pray a lot for other churches. I prayed a lot for my own church. Um, but if I'm honest, I, I really didn't pray about the other churches in town and realized that, uh, you know, maybe I was a little too much about my own kingdom rather than his. And, and the last few years, it's been growing in me. I'm not saying I'm great at it. Uh, but even tonight was reminded, and I just started praying for the other churches in San Francisco, because you get to a point where you're just, and you get to an age too, where you're just going, God, I, I don't really care. I don't care where you move. I just want you to move. Like I, I just, I'm tired of the way people mock, you know, what you say about what's true and what's right and your, your way of morality. I'm tired of people just kind of saying, yeah, you know, every God's the same. No, in scripture, you, you, you always set yourself apart. And so I'm just saying, God, I don't care if it's over at First Baptist. I don't care if it's the EV Free. I don't care if it's a Pentecostal. I don't care who it is. I just want to see like power, like supernatural power, where everyone sits back and goes, okay, that was the real thing. Not, not just a great service where a bunch of people show up, but like serious, serious power. And that's why as I was hearing you pray, I'm going, God, I don't even care if it's Canada. You know, like <laughs> anywhere. Like I just want to see because... Don't you just love it when you see something and you go, that's unexplainable. And even someone who has no belief in God looks and goes, okay, that was crazy. That was insane. Man, I, I, that's, that's all I want to see. I don't care if it's through me. I don't care if it's through you. I just want to see it. And I hope that's been your prayer. I hope you've been praying for the other pastors in your city and the neighboring cities and, and just wherever. Because I think we'd all agree that church, as most people see it and know it, um, it's lacking. Uh, it's very explainable. And uh, it's not that attractive to the people who are searching and are looking for something that's just unexplainable, that's supernatural. You know, I, I was in China a few, a couple months ago, and saw one of the most beautiful churches I'd ever seen. It was, um, it, it was in this uh, real rural area. We had to drive, you know, we had to fly way down to the southern tip and then drive up into this little village. And it's one of these little villages where they're still, you know, they grow their rice, they got their animals, everything's right there. And it was just like 70 families that lived on this little mountaintop, this little hilltop. And it was just, you know, it's just like something right out of the movies where you go, wow, people still live like this. And a lot of people live like this. And it was about 70 families, but these 70 families all became Christians. Um, they had all been evangelized, all, all fell in love with Jesus, but they, they're all studying the word together and... Um, they got convicted about caring for the widows and orphans. So all of these, all of the families began to adopt kids out of the orphanage. And uh, these 70 families adopted 160 children. And all of the children were special needs children. Okay, so I'm in this village just watching people 24 hours a day. Every family has two to three special needs kids, caring for them, loving them with so much joy. And the whole time, you know, my, one of my daughters was with me, the whole time we're just like on the verge of tears going, God, this is so beautiful. 
God, make me like these people, you know, just throughout the day. I'm just like, God, make me like them, make me like them, make me like them. Because I wake up in the morning and I think about me. And, and yet everyone in the world would look at that village. I don't care if you believe in Jesus or not. You'd look at that village and you just go, wow, that is just amazing. That is just beautiful. Who does that? Most beautiful church. And I never went to one of their services. I didn't have to. See, that's, that's the type of church I'm saying, God, that's what I want to see all around the world. I want to see that in Canada. I want to see that in the U.S. where the world looks on and goes, man, I've never seen love like that. That is just amazing to me. Who does that? And so I'm just praying, praying, God, for that type of movement. I don't care where. I just want to see it. I'd love to be a part of it. I'd love to think that I had a piece in it, but... Uh, at this point, I just want to see it. I want to see it more and more. And then I went to a, one of the larger cities in China, and I, I talked to this pastor who headed up, you know, this big underground church network, and uh, just had such a great talk with him. And he taught me so much about the underground church, and, and, and he talked about how, you know, with some of the more freedom of, of religion now, a little bit more religious freedom, they're getting away from what got them, you know, to this movement of millions and millions of people, and, and even his church, it, it grew to this mega church, and then the government shut it down, and then they had to go back to house churches, and he says it was the best thing for us because we got back to our DNA, and he started to explain it to me, he goes, you know, the, the that underground church was built on these five pillars. And he said, the first one is the word of God. Not, not some great preacher, just the word of God itself. We were committed to studying the word itself. We loved the word. The second pillar was prayer. We, we prayed alone. We, we prayed corporately. We loved to pray. Our church was built on prayer. Third, he says, our church was built upon every single person delivering the gospel. Not one person delivering it to everyone, but everyone seeing it as, as, as you know what, I got to get out there. I got to get out there today, this week. I've got to get to these people. It was about that. Those were our pillars. And then he said the fourth pillar was a regular expectation of miracles. He says, because we prayed, we expected God to move. That's just, the, that's just what, that's the way we lived. It would surprise us if he didn't. We were used to it. We expected it. But then when he named the fifth pillar, I was like, whoa, it just kind of blindsided me. Because I've been on this journey where I've been asking people, look, just, just read the Bible. If you just read this book and based upon this book, you had to describe what church is. Based upon reading this, what would you come up with? You know, if you're stuck on an island and you just read this book over and over and over again and then you're rescued from this island and you were going to go see one of these churches, what would you expect to see? Let's think biblically. Let's not just follow a format that's been laid out for us, but really think through Scripture. And so I've been asking that question for years and trying to do things as biblically as I can these last few years. But when he gave me this, you know, he told me that fifth pillar it just surprised me because he says we're committed to you know, prayer, Bible study, spreading the gospel, regular expectation of miracles. And then he says, and we embraced suffering for the glory of Christ. 
we embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. And it, it hit me weird at first. And so, you know, when you hear something that's not normal to you, you have to run it through the grid of Scripture. And you test the spirits and go, is that biblical? And then I started thinking, you know what? That is all over the New Testament. That's in every book of the New Testament. It's repeated over and over and over. Why do I not see that as a central theme in Scripture? He was absolutely right. They are absolutely right. The idea of embracing suffering for the glory of Christ. That was one of their commitments. That we as believers, we as a church, we're not going to run from suffering. We're going to embrace it for God's glory. And I began to think, you know what, if you have a church full of people who actually embrace suffering, who actually believe they'll be rewarded for this forever, and so they actually want this in their lives, then suddenly you have an unstoppable church. Right? When everyone embraces suffering and goes, no, I actually want some of this in my life. I actually want to share in the sufferings of Christ. I actually want this eternal reward. I actually want to feel some of the rejection and hatred that Christ felt. How do you stop a group like that? The answer is you don't. The answer is they didn't. And so that church spread to these millions of people. And why are so many of our quote-unquote movements so easily stopped because it got too difficult. It was just too hard. You know, I, I, was, I was trying to share my faith. I just kept getting rejected. It just got too tough for me. You know, the, I wasn't getting paid that much. I was worried about it. You know, it just, things got difficult. Church wasn't growing It just got tough. But what if we actually relished in that and thought, this is good. This is good. I got rejected. That was cool. You know, what if we actually thought like they did? Because that seems like the early church to me, right? Weren't they the ones getting beat up and then leaving and rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer in his name? In 1 Peter 4, verse 1, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He goes, since Christ suffered in the flesh, he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. I love that imagery of arm yourself, armor. See, see, he says, Christ thought this. Christ was thinking this. Christ said, I didn't come to the earth to be served, right? I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So when they treated him like a servant, he was like, this is what I expected. I, I, I didn't come here for everyone to bow down to me and worship me. I knew that wasn't going to happen. I came here to serve you, to wash your feet. And I didn't come here for you to, to kiss me and worship me right now. I came here to die on a cross for you. I didn't make it, that didn't make it easy. But he was armed with that type of mentality. And I, I just think for so many of us in ministry, we're not armed with that mindset. 
If I'm going in to serve, I'm going in to be rejected, I'm going in to suffer, but even that suffering is going to be good, Christ died for me, and I'm, I ought to lay down my life for my brothers. Like, when you arm yourself with that type of thinking, then when it happens, it, it doesn't make it easy, but it was expected. You knew what you were getting into. It's like my son plays baseball and every time he puts on his batting helmet, I just have to throw something at him, you know? It's just, it's just, it's just great, you know? It's like, bam, you know? And it's just, because it doesn't hurt. That's the idea of armor. And, 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 and the, the thing is, is we try to protect our people from suffering rather than arming them with a correct theology of suffering that tells, that's what Jesus did. He told his disciples, look, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. If, if they're calling me these names and if they're persecuting me, what do you think they're gonna do to you? And he explained ahead of time, look, I didn't, bring, I didn't come to bring peace to your family. I came to bring a sword. Okay, you're going to go into ministry and you're going to be rejected. Then you see God saying that to all of the prophets ahead of time. Look, this is the way it's going to be. We, we love to quote Isaiah 6, 8, you know, where Isaiah said, here am I, send me. But then we stop right there and I'm saying, keep reading. <laughs> you ever read the end of the chapter? He's like, yeah, go, go, Isaiah, go. But guess what? No one's going to listen to you. He says, well, how long do I have to keep that up? Because till everyone's gone. There'll be a little bit left, but then that'll be destroyed too. But you just do it. Jeremiah, same with you. Ezekiel, Daniel, you guys just get used to this. Get used to this. And that's what Jesus says. And that's why it surprises me how many people quit when it gets difficult. And said, I didn't know it was going to get so hard. I didn't know it was going to get that difficult. But he says, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. See, then you can't get hurt. Then, you know, the, the reason why we get so hurt is because we don't expect to get hurt. We don't expect rejection. We expect revival. Now, do I want revival? Sure, I'd love to see it. I'm just realistic and I'm going, I don't see where it's promised. It seems like in the last days, Paul tells Timothy that people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine. They're going to look for the teachers that will tickle their ears, you know, that are in accordance to their own passions. But he says, you know what, but you, Timothy, you endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. You, 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 you lay this out. You preach it, but you're going to be rejected and people are going to leave your church. But you got to just do it for the glory of God. You embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. And he even explains, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Did you know there's no way to put to death the sin in your life without suffering? According to Scripture, I talk to people who say, well, you know, I, I, I'm an alcoholic, but I asked God to take away the desire, and he didn't. He didn't answer my prayer. He told him to take away my desire for alcohol, and he didn't do it. And, I'm, and, I, and I just go, well, so you were trying to defeat sin without suffering. 
You wanted a prayer and boom, it's just gone. But here it's saying, no, the person who, who suffers is the one that ceases from sin. Some of you in here are addicted to pornography. You know how you stop? You suffer. Every time you're about to go on that website, everything in you and all of your flesh is just like, no, I'm going to suffer through this. And I'm going to put this thing to death. It's about suffering. Some of you are in improper relationships. Some of you are sleeping with someone who's not your spouse. You know how you stop? You suffer. You get lonely. Man, you don't, I, I work with a lot of addicts in San Francisco. You ever watch someone kick heroin? You don't kick heroin without suffering. You just don't defeat your sin without suffering. This is a part, this is a normal part of the Christian life that we have to learn to embrace or we won't even stop sinning. Forget ministry. He says, arm yourselves with this way of thinking. We're soldiers. It doesn't make sense to enter this war and go, oh, why is everyone shooting at me? <laughs> Man, he says, arm yourselves. This is what it's about. We're about to do some battle. And it's going to get tough and you have to arm yourself and go, you know what, I expect this. I actually want some of this. I'm actually going to embrace it because this is what my Savior did for me. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. I love that phrase. The time that is past suffices. Okay, you know what? I had my fill of sin. It's, it's enough for me. Okay, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know you guys. I don't know who's in this room. You know, and as pastors, we're very good at presenting a front and I don't know what, what's really going on and whether in your heart you really go, you know what, the time in the past suffices for all of my sin. All of that stuff that I used to do, what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, uh, lawless idolatry. It's like, I'm just done. I, the time, no, because some people it's like, well, I, didn't, I haven't done that much. And so I'm still a little curious there are, there's some of you that you go, man, I didn't really go that far. And maybe, you know, those guys that really went far have a better testimony. You, you have all these weird, like screwed up thoughts in you. Why? Because the truth is it's your flesh that wants to dive a little deeper, wants to play with fire just a little bit more. Or can you say like Peter, you know what? Whatever I did, however much it was, however little, I, I just had enough. I've seen where sin leads. It wasn't taking me into a good place. I lost this peace that I had with him where I can just come and worship and I'm not sick to my stomach when I walk into a church and we're singing and we're praying and I'm, and I'm just kind of faking my way through it. I'm just done with that life. I'm done with that life where every time someone says to me, hey, I need to talk to you about something, your heart just kind of pounds where you go, man, I wonder if they know. I wonder if I got caught. I'm tired of that hiding. I'm tired of that life. It was leading me nowhere I'm done with it 
and I'll suffer whatever I need to. I just got to get it out of my life. Man, I hope that's you. There's just enough scandals in the church. And uh, we get in trouble when we just think, okay, one more time. Rather than saying enough, it's just like, okay, last time. Let me just go back one time. Like, the, you know, like, like uh, Second Peter talks about the dog that goes back to his vomit. You know, we see this in church all the time where someone gets cleaned up or a pig that gets cleaned up and then goes running back into the mud. Why, why does the pig keep running back to the mud? Someone answer me. Why does a pig keep running back to the mud? Because he's a pig, yeah. Um, that's what pigs do. And, and too often in the church, we spray people off and they just go right back to their sin. Because their nature didn't change. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does in a person. He changes them from the inside out. Okay, as we go and we start our churches, this is not about getting people out of their addictions or cleaning them up. It's about the Holy Spirit of God changing them to where they're a new creation and suddenly they're a slave to what's right. And now it's like, wow, when I see mud, it's like, yeah, it kind of is tempting, but every time I start to dabble, I just feel so gross and dirty I've got because I'm not a pig anymore. You know, I've got a new nature. I've changed. This is the business we're about. It's not just cleaning people up and making their lives a little bit better and preaching sermons on it, having a better marriage. And okay, we help them a little bit. It's about bringing the dead to life. It's about changing a person's nature and how the spirit of who raised Christ from the dead, the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead, now dwelling in that person, and now that where they used to be a slave to sin, there's the mud, there's the mud, there's the mud. Now they're a slave to righteousness. I want to be like Jesus, I want to be like Jesus. I'll suffer, I'll do whatever I need, because I, I want him, I want him, I want him. And that stuff I did in the past... Whatever I did, it's enough. I just got to get out of it. I'll suffer whatever I need to. The Bible says I'm going to have to suffer to get rid of this. Where do I sign up? Let me suffer. See, this is what the scriptures are about. It's not about an easy life. It's not about revival all the time. It's about, you know what? We're going to be rejected. And arm yourselves. Christ didn't come with this mentality of this is going to be easy. This is going to be fun. People are going to love me. I'm going to get crowds behind me. No, you have crowds behind you screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And you just go, okay, this is just like Jesus. This is just like he told me it was going to happen. Verse four, with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. People are surprised when you seriously repent and when you really just don't care about stuff anymore like this morning when we were talking about coveting and it's just like wow we put all the coveting behind him literally dead to it like a, you know i'm like a corpse you know a commercial comes on for nice cars it's like there's no response from me a new tv there's just no response a house there's no response it's just i'm dead to the things of the world and people are shocked by that and they'll even malign you for that but it says they'll give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. 
This is why we'll never join them is because either we suffer now or we suffer forever. And it's, it's, it's about suffering. And he's ready to judge. Oh gosh, I... I want to just go through the whole passage. It's so good. Why not? We have time. I got 15 minutes. Okay, verse six. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. Okay, the end is coming. I, I, I think we're all sensing that. I mean, how can the world get crazier? Right? It's like, I, I, I just, I mean, people are just blowing each other up. That we're, The biggest crisis going on in Syria right now, more refugees than ever, you know, in human history. It's just like, man, I have friends that are out there in Greece just saying, gosh, the, the number of people that were coming in on these boats every single day, like 5,000 new people a day, just coming in with nowhere to go. Some days, eight to 10,000 people a day, you know, coming off of these boats, nowhere to go, and we're just trying, you know, it's just, sheer craziness and it's like where's this going to stop and he says the end of all things is at hand therefore because the end is is coming close what do we need to do be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers that's weird usually when we talk about prayer prayer is usually a means to an end but here it's the goal he goes, you, you, better, you better be sober-minded and self-controlled. You better not just let all these videos get into your head and every, you know, every tweet, every, you know, just clog your head with all of this stuff to where you can't think straight, but have your mind clear, focused, self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. Because if there's one thing that you want to have together when Christ returns, it's your prayer life. To know that you're known by him. To know, you know, when he's coming down. There you are. I just talked to you. You know, it's just, man, it, it is just 100%. I've been in the zone. I've been longing for you. I'm this believer who's been waiting, waiting, waiting for you. I'm not getting caught up in all this other stuff. I'm not trying to make my own little heaven on earth, you know. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Because the end of all things is at hand. Get that prayer life together. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Man, this is what he wants of his church. This love that no one's ever seen. See, when I started my church, I didn't think of any of this. This is ridiculous. Isn't it crazy that 20 years ago, 20-some years ago when I first started a church, I was just thinking about getting a bunch of people in, the, in a room to hear the word of God, which is a good thing. But it's crazy that it didn't even cross my mind that they should love each other. <laughs> That's a big command. That's in there a lot. <laughs> you know? But I don't, I don't know what it was. I just, I, I guess I didn't really care for fellowship. I didn't, you know, I just wanted a place where I can come in, do my business with God and leave. And so I want to create a place like that. I wasn't going to water down the word of God. But as you start preaching the word of God, you see this love one another, love one another, love one another. And that's why we, me and the elders, even though we had thousands of people coming, we're going, they don't love each other. 
I don't, I don't see this early church mentality of one hurts, everyone hurts, one rejoices, everyone rejoices. This is not what God asked for. We've got to change this. This has got to change. The attraction cannot be what happens on the stage. It's above all things. They've got to learn to love one another. The world looks on and says, wow, they don't gossip? They come under the leadership and they love the leadership? And the leadership loves them? They, they open up their homes to one another? They give their cars away like it's no big deal? They care for one another that way? They show hospitality, verse 9, to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, they use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Listen, this is what God wants. So I don't care how big your church is and how many magazines talk about it and write about it and how well you preach. I'm asking, do your people love one another deeply and are they all exercising their gifts, their supernatural gifts to minister to one another and they come together to give to one another because that's what God wants. And then in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Okay, there he goes again with the suffering. He goes, don't be surprised, okay? Those of you, man, I hope, you know, like Mark was saying, I hope so many of you start churches. Man, I hope you just go for it. I've got guys, man, they're just out of prison. You know, I was sharing, I was sharing with, uh, you know, the, the, the lunch crowd today. One of my pastors, he's only been out for like a year. In fact, he has tattooed on his eyelids, F you. Okay. Because he was a mess in prison, and when he was coming out, he knew he was going to get killed by the people. You know, I mean, just very violent, and he just wanted that to be his last message to the world from his coffin. <laughs> F you all. He's an awesome pastor now. <laughs> I'm serious. Amazing pastor. What God has redeemed in this man just planted a church a few weeks ago with another guy. And uh, in fact, he was in the projects there and, and uh, passing out gifts to the kids at Christmas as Santa. And I'm just going, oh, don't blink, don't blink, don't blink, you know. But I'm just saying, just, just some of the godliest people I know that are a year into it and everything else, but... Man, do they love Jesus. And he's knocking on doors, praying for people fearlessly. Um, just story after story about people who, man, they're, start, they're going for it. And I hope you go for it. We have an amazing God who can do amazing things. And don't lose that faith. And yet we have people who are sitting in churches for 20 years and going, nah, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I'm not ready for this. I'm just saying, man, if you're going to wait till you're ready, man, that's the worst time to go. Because you're just, you're just so sure of yourself. You're so prepared. Man, this is not what our faith is about. It's about doing things that are over our heads and going for it. I'm just telling you, as you go, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be miserable <laughs> at, at times. 
and don't be surprised by it. That's what scripture says. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, to see, are you for real? Are you just going to lead this thing if there's a revival? Are you just going to lead this thing if you become popular and everyone likes you? Man, it's the trial, the fiery trial is going to test you. And scholars say this was during the time of Nero when he was pouring gas on Christians and lighting them on fire to light up his garden. And these people are seeing that freaked out. He goes, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you. We told you this was going to happen. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Isn't that what Jesus taught? Sermon on the Mount. Look, when they insult you, when they curse you, man, blessed are you. Rejoice. That's the way they treated the prophets. And I tried to think, I've been a Christian 35 years, and I try to think, has anyone ever, I mean, I'm saying ever, when I was going through trial, maybe being rejected for the gospel, suffering for the sake of the gospel, not that I've done a ton of it, but has anyone ever come alongside of me, put their arm around me and go, man, you gotta rejoice. Man, this is awesome. <laughs> Think about the eternal reward. If you just shut up right now, quit complaining. Think about, he says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us this eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Has anyone ever said that to me? And I don't think I've ever heard those words from another Christian. It's always, it'll get better. Maybe we can fix the situation. Maybe we can change this. Don't worry, this can't go on forever. You know, the sun will come out tomorrow. You know, it's just whatever, these stupid cliches over and over and over and over. But did anyone ever quote scripture and say, hey, Jesus said rejoice in this. Think about what you have waiting for you. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Because that's how much you're going to rejoice when he returns. It's, it's about us as believers looking to the return of Christ, seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And when he's coming back, we're looking for that day. And on that day, man, we want to know that we've suffered. I mean, let's just take, let's just take physical for now. Let, let's just say you got persecuted. Say you, you end up in some foreign country where, where the persecution is so bad that, that you, you lose an arm, you lose both arms, and Christ returns. That's a good day. When Christ returns and you're, you're all. Right? I mean, that's, that's the point. That's exactly what he's saying. Because you rejoice in so far as you, you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He says, you know what? If you've suffered as a Christian, if you've been insulted for the name of Christ, you are so blessed. 
you are so lucky. You are so to be envied. When's the last time you heard that? See, whenever someone's rich, we go, wow, he's blessed. But what scripture says is if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. See, that's how you know the spirit of God's on a person. It's like, wow, she was willing to take that. She was willing to suffer through that and she rejoiced. That's a blessed woman there because the spirit of God's in her. There's no other way she could be rejoicing at this point. See, I don't know what background you come from. Some say, you know what, I can tell you're a Christian because you speak in tongues or I can tell you're a Christian because you don't. Um, I can tell you a Christian because you were baptized. I can tell you a Christian because you're baptized in the Spirit. I can tell you a Christian because this, 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 this. And we all have our maybe preferences, but in Scripture, and I don't know, for me, when I see someone suffer for the sake of the gospel, I go, okay, Spirit of God's in that guy. Don't you just trust people that don't get anything out of it? You know, where you go, she could have no other motive. She must be the real thing. No one puts up with that. She didn't become rich. He didn't become famous. That's why Paul was defending himself there in 2 Corinthians. He's going, look at me. Does this make any sense to you? I lost everything for it. That's why we read Paul's writings and go, no, I trust what he says because he lost everything for the gospel. The spirit of God rests on them. Those are the people, those are those of you that have suffered for the gospel. Gosh, I just, I give you the shirt off my back. Those are the people, may I do anything for? The spirit of God lives on them. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if someone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's how he ends that chapter, and I love that verse. Let those who suffer according to God's will. Hear that? According to God's will. Those who suffer according to God's will. People say, well, it could never be God's will for me to suffer. God wants me to be rich, to be healthy, for life to be great. I don't know. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. A faithful creator. See, I... God is faithful. When he promises something, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Okay? That, that's why Paul tells Timothy, even if we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. It's his very attribute. God says, even if you are faithless to me, I, I can't stop being faithful to you. Like I made a promise. So even if you're faithless, and I think that, gosh, that's crazy because I'm so affected by people. And I think, wow, what if my wife was unfaithful to me you know I'd like to think that no I would stay faithful but I just know me in the flesh just the temptation but God says I'm not like that I'm not like you 
Like it's not in my nature to go back on something. And even if you're faithless, I remain faithful. So I can't deny who I am. And God made us a promise. And, 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 and if you're anything like me, you've been let down in life so often that a lot of times you go into situations, okay, you'll, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Whatever situation you head into, you expect the worst. You just go, this is gonna be stupid. <laughs> this way, if it's good, you go, whoa, surprise, happy day. But you can't get let down this way, right? But what happens is it becomes a pattern in your life where you, you don't know how to get excited about the future anymore because you've been let down so much and, and, and it's fine. Okay, so I, I don't trust you. If somebody says, no, I'll be by your side. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. You know, I, I just can't trust that. But when it spills over in our relationship with God, and this is what I've been noticing, you know, it's like, God, that spilled over into you where I don't get excited about heaven. I'm not like, ah, it can't wait, it can't wait, it can't wait. Anything I suffer, there's all this reward waiting for me. I should be giddy about it. But sometimes we've, we've kind of taken that unfaithfulness of people and pushed that onto God to where now he makes a promise and we're just kind of like, okay, well, yeah, I think that's true, but we'll wait and see. And the Bible says, no, 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 your God's a faithful God. And you suffer for him. And you rejoice in that because he promises this is God saying this. You suffer in my name. It'll be worth your while. I'll make it worth your while. You're light and momentary. That little bit of pain, little bit of rejection, which I, I bottle up your tears. I, I get it. I, I hear it all. But you know what? It's nothing compared to what you have coming to you. You've got to trust me on this. So God, you have to trust me. Just entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So man, I, I hope that out of this group, just awesome churches arise, like real ones, unexplainable ones, where there's a love in that gathering where people walk in and go, who does this? Who watches and loves special needs kids for life? Who does this, cares for one another the way you do? Who does this, it takes on suffering and actually expects it and rejoices in it and actually wants it? You actually want some? You actually embrace it because you're so sure of this God because he's been so faithful your whole life? Man, those are the types of churches. See, when I was young, and I, I guess probably really up until a few years ago, I used to just love the fact that a church existed but I think my attitude's kind of changed as I've studied scripture. God's not happy just because there's a sign that says church. Over and over again, he says, gosh, would you shut the doors to that temple that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar? Would you please stop singing? I can't stand the noise of your songs. Gosh, if you don't repent, I'll remove your lampstand from its place. You see, because... My concern now is someone who's searching walks into one of these buildings called church, sees no life, and just goes, okay, that's what Jesus has to offer? I'll go try something else. If we're going to do it, let's do this thing, and let's do it for real, and expect the supernatural, you know? 
I just want to pray right now. I don't think God's calling us to, at least I'm not sensing it right now, for anyone to stand up or come forward. Because I think sometimes we're real good at saying stuff and committing to things. Um, rather than really just repenting and doing it. Um, and that's no knock. I, I do altar calls. I do all of it. I just, right now, I don't think that's what he wants. But I think a lot of us in here are just hungry to see his power. It's not even, it doesn't even have to be through us. We just want the church to resemble what we see here, where the world couldn't stop them because they embraced that suffering and they saw the power of God. And the world looked on and saw the way that believers where no one had any needs and the way they cared for one another and the unity. And it really was about the glory of Christ. I just want to pray that over us. And I, and I want this to be real. A lot of times when I pray up front of a, in a crowd, you guys know what I'm talking about. You just start saying things that you think the people need to hear rather than really looking at the Savior in heaven and being shocked that you're in his presence and really begging him to grant power and believe that he can do it. And so I want us to really focus right now. So if you would bow your heads with me. And let's just remember who we are speaking to seated on his throne, the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, the rainbow around him, 24 elders bowing down before him, the four living creatures, the sea of glass, the lightning, the thunder, the fire, a hundred million angels, temple filling with smoke, the ground shaking as they're screaming, holy, holy, holy. And Father, we dare come into your presence now only because of the blood of Jesus. Only because of the blood of Jesus do we come before you and say, Lord, we want to see more of you in our own lives, in our churches. We want this courage we want this faith. God, I am so sorry for the times I run from suffering and I run from rejection. And sometimes I say things in a way so that I won't get rejected and I'm just ashamed of that, God. How can I be ashamed of you? It's so stupid, God. I don't want to be a coward, God. None of us want to be cowards. We need your spirit to suffer whatever I need to. Father, I pray for those who are stuck in sin right now that they would suffer whatever they need to to get out of it. That even tonight they would say, enough, enough. The time that has passed suffices. Yesterday was enough. And now I'll suffer whatever I need to to walk with you again and to get that sin out of my life and truly be filled with your spirit. 
God, I'm just begging that you would grant us a new courage. A deeper faith. We want to see revival. But we also want to be men and women who will stand if the opposite happens. And we want to present to you a beautiful bride when this is all done. And we can only do this by the power of your spirit. So please, Father, pour forth your spirit upon us. that we'd be filled with the fullness of God. In Jesus' precious and powerful name we pray. Amen.